Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. And you're listening to Box Number 512 Podcast. Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. Changing your world one conversation at a time. The show begins now. If you would like to see this episode along with other exclusive content, make sure you become a patron by going to our Box Number 512 podcast Patreon page where you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month. The link to the page is in the show notes for the show. So make sure you go on over there if you would like to see the episode in addition to listening to it. All right, y'all. Back to the show. Welcome to another installment of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. I am your co-host, Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. So let's get into updates. Uh, first, I know, you know, I know this is not a pop culture show, but congratulations to Simone for winning season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race. Woo! She was my winner from the start. I'm so proud of her. Um, this was like a really good weekend just for all things black, queer, tech, drag. But it was it's just, it's just so good to see somebody black, somebody dark skin, somebody that is black and brought those references to drag race. Since I know, have you been able to see the new season yet? I have not. Okay, well I, now, now that it's over, I'm gonna need you to watch it because someone someone show her ass like. I, everybody knows that I'm a Drag Race super fan. Miss Thing, and I'm not even going to give it away because when you watch it, and I know you're going to watch it, I just want you to gag. A lot of the girls in this season, but particularly Simone, they play the game like they were on All Stars as far as their runways. Like, runways that are just still burnt in my mind. Like, I think about, like... That bitch really turned it for that category, but it was so good to see Simone win. It was so good to see Jada Essence Hall crown her. It was so good to see Lala Reeby, Miss Congeniality, Aww. and um and um what's her name, Heidi and Closet crown her. This is like the fifth black winner we've had of a drag race thing in a row because we went from season eleven to Evie to season twelve with Jada. Um, All-Stars 5 with Shay, and then Canada's Drag Race with Priyanka, and now season 13 with Simone. So it's just been a good time to be Black and queer. And I just bought all of the Simone merchandise um, today. It just crossed my mind, so I can't wait for my shirts to come. So shout out to that. Also saw the Mortal Kombat movie this weekend. I was really anticipating that. The girls are reading the movie, but... I watched it. Now, I watched it. Now, I will say this is... She was lightly boring. She was lightly boring for me. Okay. It was it, it was boring, but no shade. <clears throat> Once we got to the end, it gave me the, like, oh, this is setting us up for like a series of sequels. And I'm I, I'm willing to be patient because we've waited for so long for something that I'm not gonna be overly like the girls were mainly reading spoil spoiler alerts, but you should have seen the movie already. They were reading because the main character in the movie is not a character from the game. He's just this random, like the whole time I thought he was going to be, I thought his father was going to fuse with him to become this hyper scorpion. But 
that didn't happen. But I wonder if he's going to like evolve into some character that we know. I don't know. I'm. A, I feel like if it, I feel like they're going to do a sequel, and I feel like if they do do the sequel, the second one is going to be the one that turns it. Well, and so with that logic, sis, I will agree. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe this was like, I do, I did get the impression that they were setting us up for something. So I'm thinking maybe, you know, at the end of it, it'll be okay. But yeah, girl, that was kind. I'm glad you saw Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that they brought back some throwaway characters and kind of killed them off just so we can get the girls that we really want to see. And then like, I'm a Katana girl. It was cute to see Melina, but I'm a Matana girl, a Jay girl, Sindel. She, like, I wanted to see the girls. And um, I saw they had um, a shot of Katana's fans on the side, the blue fans. And I, I, I just love Mortal Kombat. I'm more invested in Warner Brothers doing an MK universe than trying to, like, do this DC universe and compete with Marvel. Like, Mar that's the Marvel's thing. Let Marvel have that. Let's focus. Like, in Mortal Kombat, everybody was reading because they didn't see who they wanted to see. But Mortal Kombat ha just has too many characters. They can't put everybody. Like, it has to make sense. And I don't know. I I enjoyed it. Could, like, would I have liked it to be better? Yeah. Did, would I have wanted it to be a little longer so I could get more bang for my buck? Yeah, but I'm a little away. I'm a little, if this means we get a sequel next summer or the summer after next, that's likely going to be better because they're hearing how the girls are reading. I'm here for it. Um, I watched a lot of movies this weekend. I was supposed to go out to Georgetown, but the, the weather was just late. So I just decided to stay in. Now it's going to be all 80s for the rest of the week. So I will definitely be tipping outside. But um, yeah, this weekend I just chilled out. Um, job stuff is still happening. So I have an interview um, with this place in Chicago. I'm, I've been thinking about moving back to Chicago. Um, I have an interview on Thursday. Also, my job that I'm at, my supervisors talked to me today because they're opening a new position in my department to work on something else. And he was just like, well, I think, you know, I was kind of apprehensive because I'm the type of person, I only like to interview for stuff where I know I can sell myself in the interview and I kind of feel the project. It was kind of out of my expertise, but my boss was, he was really trying to talk me up to apply for it. So I'm going to apply and, you know, just see what happens. But some stuff is starting to come down um, through the pipeline. I'm starting to get um, creatively. There's a lot of juices flowing, a lot of different projects that I want to um, take on that I hope to develop in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully they'll be at a point where I can um, discuss them on this thing. But I'm just feeling really good, feeling um, really inspired. Um, looking forward to next month of May because I'm taking some trips and I'm, you know, doing some stuff for me. So I'm just really happy to be here. My mom is good. My family is, is good. My friends are good. Shout out to one of my best friends, Ken. He, his birthday was on the 23rd. And honey, I'm just happy to be here. So what's going on with you? Nothing much. Um, well, actually, I should not say that. There's a lot going on. So um, this last weekend for me, well, since we last talked, of course, you know, um, we talked, um, I, I believe we recorded the day before 420 last week. So um, a shout out to all of my supporters and lovers that, um, that, that, that do that. I enjoyed that day as well. Shout out to my friend, Sean. Um, I enjoyed his company. You know, it's always good when you see friends that you don't see all the time and COVID 
there were some people that before COVID I was hanging with real tough. And like, because they're not necessarily friends that you hang with every day, it became a situation where it was like, well, when will I make time for these incidental friends? You know what I mean? That, right. that are an important part of your life, that are part of your support system, but that aren't necessarily people that you see every day. So because I've gotten the COVID shot, I've now ventured out to start doing that more. And I really, really enjoyed um, having company over. He actually came over here and I really enjoyed having company over. And um, I might, my, I'm coming up, um, I'm supposed to be going to a candlelight concert with the boo. That, so I'm excited about that. And they're, they're honoring Black women um, and the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra is putting it on and they're honoring black women um, throughout history. And so it's supposed to cover me. That's how fab. It was, for, and it's an outdoor candlelight concert. So bitch, it's fin to be real fab and it's covering Nina Simone. Is that a uh, Stone Mountain? Um, no, I'm not exactly sure where the venue is because I didn't, you know, my husband bought the ticket. But mm -hmm. um, they've been doing this outside candlelight concert series here in Atlanta. Since uh, they, I guess they're trying to get us back into the arts since COVID, and right. um, you know, um, so I'm excited. I'm, I'm I'm also looking forward to the High Museum to start back up their jazz night. That was like something my husband and I used to do. We're patrons of the arts, and um, they have like a jazz night for their patrons where they have these musicians that come. And we used to get some legendary people coming through there, and I miss that. So hopefully that'll be up and going. I think that it is. So I think that's coming up soon, and I'm excited. Um, and other news, so I know you guys know, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time today, but for those of most of you already know, I've joined the Sorority Cap Iota Sigma Sorority Incorporated, and we are having our informational for our fall line. And um, so for those of you who may be wondering, how did the lioness do it? How did she get in this process? What is Cap Iota Sigma Sorority? You know, how can I learn more? There is an informational on March 15th, and there's a flyer on my page for those of you who would like to see it. Um, this is the place to ask those questions. And if you're interested in perhaps becoming a coral lady at some point, um, that, that would be the wonderful place for it. Um, since being in this organization, I have I am impressed by the amount of energy that these women are putting into sisterhood. I've never had it, I've had sisterhood be something that is incidental something that we really connect on, something that we vibrate on naturally, but to have it codified, to have like a system in place, to have my sorority meetings, to have all of those things, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful experience. And so for those of you who are listening and you might be interested, I'm newly crossed, but I am living and um, I'm enjoying it. And so if you if you wanna listen again, that's Cap Iota Sigma Sorority Incorporated Facebook page, click on the link um, for Messenger. You do need to do an interest application or you can go to coralkids2014.org and fill out an application. So yeah, that's what's going on with me. You know, just a little promotion. Oh, also my sorority is doing a, um, on, my, on the Lioness at ATL Lioness, if you wanna go to my page, I've also shared it on the box number 512 page, but my sorority is doing a fundraiser. And if you would love to support the lioness and her ministries and efforts, please feel free to please contribute to that um, popcorn fundraiser that we're doing. So yes, that's what's going on with me, girl. That's what's going on with me. We got something exciting for the for the viewers today. And all of that information will be in the um, show notes for the show for this week's episode. And you'll yes. probably be you'll probably it'll probably be in the show notes for the next couple of weeks as um, you know we'll promote it on here. Um, also, before we get into our topic today, just want to remind you all 
If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. The, um, we appreciate your reviews and also those reviews and ratings helps other people to find our podcast and helps to spread the word about our podcast. So please make sure before you just press pause right now, just press pause, go to Apple Podcasts, hit a star, or if you want to leave a review, let, leave us a review for this episode. Let us, let us know how you feel about this episode. So please, please do that. Mm-hmm. So now... Transitioning to this week's episode, uh, it, now we're at a point in our podcast where you're going to see us have a lot of guests uh, from community come onto the show so we can broaden our conversations. And we know so many Black trans women that are out here um, being pillars in community, getting it, grinding it, following their dreams on their own terms. And it's only it's only right that we bring them into our circle of sisterhood and just really have conversations about what the the walk is like, what the journey is like, what are the lessons that you have learned? What are are the things that are not being publicized about who we are as Black trans women and how we walk in this world to achieve our dreams? So I'm really honored to have one of my um, close and personal sisters, um, the incomparable Miss um, Tona Brown. She is a world-renowned, accomplished um, violinist, um, um, a, a soprano. She sings opera. She's a soprano. Um, she's a business owner. She's a teacher. She's a, a musician. Um, she's a friend. She's a sister. And also, she's a Black trans woman that's out here being a voice, um, being a light. Um, she's been out here for years. I'm doing the work and it's only right that we have this conversation with her just to just to really hear the story of what it's like to stand in your truth and in the arts and to um, be a leading figure. She's one of the she's the first um, trans woman or trans person to perform before a sitting president. She um, performed before uh, former President Barack Obama. She's also the first trans woman to headline a concert performance at Carnegie Hall. So it's just only right that we had my sister come on here and bless our podcast and we just have some kitchen table sister, sister talk about what it's like and about this walk and just the lessons that you need to know because we know there's so many um, Black trans women or young trans women listening to our show that want to know how do you do it? How do you, how do you do it and still stay true to you and still hold on to those dreams? So without further ado, we're going to bring my sis Tona on. Come on, Tona. Woo! Come on, Tona. Yes. Lovely. How you yes. doing? I am what it, you know, I'm I'm so honored to be here and to support my sisters and see you beautiful ladies doing your thing unashamed. I love the podcast. So thank you for having me. Yes. So let's start here. Tell the tell the people, Tona, who you are and what you do, what it is that you do. Okay, my name is Tona Brown. Um, I am a violinist, an opera singer, and I'm a teacher. So um, if you live in the DMV area, although I teach students all around the world because we're doing all this virtual stuff, 
Um, I teach vocal coaching, voice lessons, um, violin, viola, and piano lessons to my students. And I also tour around the world and perform. So um, I really love your opening that you said, because I remember when I decided that I was not going to allow my transition to keep me from doing what I always love to do, I remember so many people saying, Tona, like, you shouldn't say anything about you being trans mm. um, in order for you to pursue this dream. And then these are big opera singers. Um, these are violinists. These are friends of mine. Um, who were just nervous. And I, and I knew they were. And for many of them, it came from a good place. I don't want to put them down or anything. But what I remember saying to myself was, I have been training in school ever since I was in elementary school to do this. I went to the governor's school for the arts. Once I got to high school, I've been training at um, HBCUs, Norfolk State University, Hampton University, and then ODU and doing all these programs my entire life. So literally all I know is the arts. Um, my passion ever since I was a kid was the arts. And so I was not going to allow anyone or anything to tell me that just because I was transitioning um, that I wasn't going to pursue it. So I have a question about that. So where are you from, if you don't mind me asking, because you said the Governor's School for Arts. What state? So I am originally from Norfolk, Virginia, and I have, I'm an open book, so you can ask whatever you want to ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Norfolk, Virginia. I'm a born and raised Virginian, but I've lived all around. As an artist, you can only imagine, I've lived everywhere, so. Mm -hmm. So um, you talked of you discovering from a childhood your love for the arts and your discovery of that journey. So before you began to take lessons for it. What was it? Because I know that there are a lot of even trans parents listening and different folks listening, and they see this artistic spark in their child. What age did that come for you? And um, did um, growing up, was your, did you have that dual minded that I'm trans and I like music and wondering, were you wondering that for, since a young age? Or how did just, can you tell us a little bit about how you fell in love with music as a part of your journey? Absolutely. I have to say that part of my journey in finding who Tona was, was my voice. So um, I, I remember the, and I just had this conversation with a, a friend of mine recently who was just like, how did you get so inspired to want to go into this as a career? So I remember in the fourth grade, they did a concert at the National Symphony um, because at this point, my parents had moved to Manassas, Virginia. Um, which is not too far from where I'm living now. And they did this concert that was geared towards kids. And it's, it, the, the, the show is called Peter and the Wolf. And so like they have these little solos. And I remember pointing to the first violinist and saying, I want to be just like him to the um, orchestra director. Now, so in fourth grade, they're trying to see what instruments you want to do to take it in fifth grade in Virginia. Um, and from that moment on, something just inspired me. But before that, I was a dancer. And a lot of people don't know that. But I used to take ballet, tap, and jazz. In fact, um, my aunt danced with Sammy Davis Jr. 
it was said that uh, we were related to peg, peg leg baits and just a long history of dance, rhythm, that kind of thing. So my family didn't think anything of it. I was still taking dance lessons. Um, but again, at a very early age, my parents knew that something was different. And also my body was changing you know, in a weird, quote unquote, weird way to be male, like being male embodied person at that time. So um, I started getting like a psychosis about my hips and like things jiggling around because I was in dance. And, and, you know, <laughs> and yeah. you, hitting the, you hitting the beat and that booty hitting the beat too. Girl. <laughs> right, right, you know? So like, I'm like, what is happening? Like, you know, what is going on? You know, this is pre-hormone or anything. This is just me as a teenager. And so my parents was just like, no, you know, you know, it's all good. You know, so I started taking violin lessons and I slowly moved away from dance. And I honestly think that was because of those insecurities. Now that I'm older, you know how you do the work on yourself. So and I'm older. It's always 2020. Absolutely. So I think that's what it was. And it was in my head, it was in my mind. And then, but music, I could be who I wanted to be. Um, but as I started singing, I would have these problems. <laughs> where my voice would crack when I would be trying to sing these tenor roles and do those type of things. My voice would crack and it would crack upward and my friends would laugh. I would get all like animated and upset. Like we are all talking around and my voice would get all high when I would get mad and my friends would be cracking up laughing at me. And I'm like, it's not funny, you know? <laughs> so long story short, I started to take voice lessons because all of my friends were singers. And it was a vocal science person by the name of Dr. Og, who just left Shenandoah University, actually. She retired not too long ago. But she told me if I wanted to sing, I needed to sing in my natural voice. And that was that of the second soprano register. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is my voice. This is really who I am. And it helped me to then transition fully at that time. It, you know, it was a back and forth thing um, with as far as my appearance. I had a very androgynous appearance um, growing up. Um, I was always me. You know, that was that that was just always what it was. You either whatever you called me, whatever your whatever your preference was, I knew who I was, you know. So that was never an issue. But as I started singing, and I'm hoping that this touches someone else that's listening, as I started to work on my voice and started to accept what was already there, mm -hmm. something just snapped in me. My mother started asking me questions and she was just like, why don't you just accept who you are? My mother never had an issue with me. She always knew who I was. Um, I didn't have that problem. But internally, I was still battling with who I was. Would I be accepted? And because I'm in classical music as well, am I going to be able to still have this career? 
So you have to remember, ever since middle school and high school, I if you if you Google me, I have performed for many of the greatest classical musicians and master classes. But that was before I transitioned as well. So are I'm, am I going to be able to get a job? Are these same people going to come to me and offer me work? And I will say, if we're going to keep it 100, as I always do, you know, many of them did not. Many of them are out here performing. They started all these groups. And if I didn't hire them to perform for weddings and events or things that I needed, they did not hire me. And I know the reason, even though some of them will never admit it. Do you see what I'm saying? So part of your journey, if you're going to go into the arts, is having an understanding that you can be successful as a Black trans person. but as I've said on many other interviews, you may have to pay for things that other people may not have to pay for, like certain venues, different things, which helps me to segue into my Carnegie Hall debut. It oh, was- Oh, here we, here we go, Mr. Let Let go. Go. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about this, but <laughs> if, if you want, this is Grown Black Trans Women Talk, so if you want to talk really talk about what you went through and most of all what you and also give the people a time period when this happened because this was that carnegie hall your carnegie hall concert happened like at the very beginning of this like new trans renaissance that um we're in but absolutely absolutely i'm glad i'm glad that you're bringing that into the space well, you know me, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm not a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. And when the spirit moves, it moves. You know, when in, in 2014, I received a call from a friend of mine who said, Tona, why are you not performing at Carnegie Hall? And I said, well, you know, I haven't been engaged to do so. You know, I just, you know, kind of was flippant about it. And to me, it's just a venue. You know, it's like I have been engaged to do so. He said, no, 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 no. Why are you not doing a recital or concert at Carnegie Hall? Can you, so, and can you, can you tell the people who may not be aware of like um, just music or music venues, like what Carnegie Hall is and what the, what the cultural or like institutional significance of Carnegie Hall is? Absolutely. So Carnegie Hall is the top tier concert venue and hall for a classical musician. When you're, or, or any musician, jazz artists, um, we've had so many great jazz artists come through Carnegie Hall as well. Um, um, and one of, my, one of my favorite Mahalia Jackson performances was in Carnegie Hall. Absolutely. So anyone who aspires for greatness in the arts, you want to headline at Carnegie Hall, but y'all, but again, I'm one of those people that keep it 100. Usually when that happens, corporations get behind you to sponsor it because it is also one of the most expensive venues to rent and perform at as well. It's the most unionized venue as well. So every little thing is unionized, you know, you're not going to get out of there without them getting their cut, period. So when he asked me about this, this was in 24, this was maybe 2013, because we only did, we, we prepared for this in six months. I mean, it was lightning speed. And what he did was, 
he ran and contacted Carnegie Hall and found through his research and talking to them that there had never been an openly LGBTQ event at the space. Now this is in the heart of Manhattan in New York. So I, I was in disbelief. I was like, there has to be something. So their historian and everything went through to look it up and find that out. And so we were like, oh my goodness. So I then went to try to get a team of people together to do the event and realized that we only had a short amount of time to do it. Now, as a black trans person, one of the things that you have to understand, which I wasn't fully in full understanding at that time um, about the arts and putting on these large massive events is that you have to get the funding to get them done. And as a Black trans person, a lot of corporations, a lot of people, a lot of non-for-profit organizations, a lot of donors do not donate large lump sums of money to our causes. Okay? So when you're trying to put on something like this, you're expecting at some point that this makes sense. We had proven the historical relevance. We got the approval of the hall who wanted us to come um, to the hall. I want I have to give them kudos for that. But we, you got to pay for it, okay? And I will tell you, it was an eye-opening experience for me like none other. The letters that I got, just the, just the experience in general from everyone that thought that this was going to be some kind of event that was going to make a million dollars. And so everyone was so greedy and they were trying to get all this money. And this was a community event. We were trying to make history and we made that very clear in all of our paperwork and everything. So here, let's cut to the actual experience. So it was a wonderful event. We got a lot of help from a lot of Black LGBTQ professionals who saw that we weren't getting the um, exposure that we were supposed to get, my team at the time. Um, and also some of the wonderful performers that I had, like for instance, we had Tammy P.A., who is a uh, Black and out lesbian um, comedian. I really wanted to make sure it was LGBTQ and it was diverse and it was mostly people of color. Nathan James, who was the person who originally said, Tony, you need to do this. He was a writer. We had him. I had my friend from Shenandoah um, come and play the piano. Um, you know, it was, it was very much a community event. But this, this is why I bring this up. We could not even afford the microphone. Okay. I don't need a microphone. Anyone who's been around me and heard me sing knows I don't need a microphone to sing. But I didn't think about the people who were speaking because it was a historical event. So Nathan James is a phenomenal writer and he was speaking about, it was called From Stonewall to Carnegie Hall. And I performed all African-American art songs, Negro spirituals, and a couple European things. But the focal, the, the focal point was our music, you know, African-American art songs, stuff that most people had never heard before, didn't know the rich music that we have that is also classic. 
And when I tell you we got to see how racist the LGBTQ community is. You tell. The, well, we even had questions from people saying, well, if we donate money towards this, is it really going to go towards paying for the venue or are you going to be parading around in a limousine? And it was like, well, first of all, what's the problem with our team coming in in a limousine? Right. It's just a rental for that day, even if that's what we wanted to do, which was not what we wanted to do. That was not written in anything that we put, that we sent everyone. I went to every major LGBTQ organization, especially here in the D.C. area where I live. Everyone. Mm-hmm. And I went to them in person. And none of those people gave us money. Not one. Went through New York. And if it wasn't for the help from GLAD, putting it out there, and then it blew up. I mean, it literally went all around the world. There's articles, because I have Google alerts, that were in Spain and China and all these different places where we got the exposure, but we did not get the money. So my whole point in saying this is that we were successful in the sense of we did a GoFundMe campaign. We raised just enough money to pay for the venue and pay people their money. That was it. There was no huge profit from that, um, which is fine because that's not what I did it for. Okay. We did it because it needs to be be done. And the blessing in doing it is that now I'm seeing all these Black LGBTQ people use the venue, like DBQ Magazine. I love that young man. I forgot his name who runs that. Um, he has been using it. And so many other people are now putting on functions at the hall. So sometimes you can be before your time. You know, you hear all these different things that people say, but um, it was what it was. I enjoyed myself. We made history. Dwight Eubanks, I have to give him a shout out. He sent a team of people to come and make sure that I was glammed out. And I'm so glad because when you are, when there's so much stress and there's so many organizations and so many people making promises and things not happening and some things happening, you don't got time to worry about all of that. Um, Adrian Alizea, as well as um, Robbie Knight, they provided the garments and, you know, I had hair, makeup, the whole nine so that I could just sit there. There's this one um, picture that most people don't pay attention to because that that doesn't hit the publicity. Well, I'm just sitting there literally just praying right before going out because it was so much noise. So sometimes you're just gonna have to go through the noise. Know that no matter what is happening, the show must go on and just make it happen. And it, it opened so many doors afterwards, but it was a struggle to get going.
imagine. And I, I, so you brought up some really good points. What, um, what I just heard in your story that I can relate to, just as someone that organizes and someone that has to put together events and community, unfortunately, and this is where you get that inherent racial bias in the way that they give money and the way that the organizations, the powers that be, the people that give to community causes, the way they value these causes. What you brought up that I found very, very interesting was how you were, you went to these community-based organizations. That's what we call them, CBOs, right? We went to these community-based organizations with a legitimate, valid community event that was going to raise awareness that would have been directly connected to the work because of the way you organize the event. And I'm sure you, uh, you made that very clear in your proposals as you were going out and requesting for funds. What is interesting though, is the assumption, the blanket assumption that as a black trans woman, this has got to be a con. There is something inherently about you doing something that I don't think you should be able to do that makes me question the validity of your request. It makes people wonder. And unfortunately, because you are a trendsetter and because you were doing something that I'm sure a lot of people did not think a black trans woman would be able to pull off, part of the reason why they did not want to support you is because it would confirm their suspicions that they have, that you're that they're not doing enough with their life and that a black trans woman is on the rise. And I want you to know that I'm willing to believe that a lot of the pushback you got was just because of that inherent bias against certain people doing certain things. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely. And Absolutely. I, what were you gonna say? And it, and it wasn't all just white people, but I'm not gonna name no names. It's not I'm, my story to tell. Interestingly enough, usually, usually the gatekeepers are our own. And that is the worst part about it is because we often uphold white supremacy the hardest against each other. And what I found very interesting about your narrative just now was also how you shared this desire to want to connect it to something, but then also feeling like there were large, even larger organizations questioning your motive. Like, are you going to get a limousine? As if- You don't deserve it. Now- That's it. If, if you would have been, now this is what's sick. If you would have asked for that money and you said, I'm going to have Beyonce at this event, they would have been more than happy to fork over money for her to get in a limo. Absolutely. More than happy. And but, that's what you have to learn though. But that, that's part of when you go out on your own, you start your own business. All of this was underneath my business. I the studios. Um, we, you know, we, we did all the fundraising, we did everything, made sure that everybody was paid, everything was together. But what's interesting was it also took the help of an author who came to me and said, Tona, the money that you need is not a lot of money. I can't believe that you're having this problem for such an event. I read your proposal, everything down to the letter is so meticulous you're talking about how you can pay back if you if we had to get any loans we didn't but we had to get any loans or anything what the ticket sales were going to be i mean girls we went all the way in because i knew this was going to be a struggle i was not naive to think that it was not 
my team was crying and all upset and some of the other performers because they could not believe how many people would promise and things just fall through. But as a Black trans woman, I'm used to that. I already knew I've had to build everything with my career on my own anyway. Okay, not because I just wanted to, just because if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have the opportunity. So what ended up happening was just that I had this mind frame that said, okay, they're promising, they're saying they're going to do these people are nickel and diamond. These these people who might be some of the white trans community who were asking about the material things or where's the money going to go when it was already very, very clear where it was going to go. The Black um, L and um, G community saying, well, how many of us are going to be involved in this to see if this is something that we want to support? Let's keep it 100. And because I did have a few representation of them up there, I didn't see why it was going to be a problem. But Tona Brown was the headliner. And, and that, were you a Black trans woman? That's what I didn't... My mind didn't didn't go there thinking that so many people, so many entities would have an issue issue with me headlining. Now I'm gonna use someone who's been a great supporter of me just because he's so famous. Um, someone like um, Neil Patrick Harris. He's a prime example. If I would have asked him to come and be on the show or just to speak for two seconds. They would have threw money at that event. Everything would have been paid for. It, you would have been VIP treatment the whole night. But let me tell you how God worked. It was still VIP treatment. From, from the front to the back to the after party, everything. We worked together. I have to give a shout out to um, the gentleman from um, Black Gay Pride, New York City Black Gay Pride. His, his name is not hitting me right now. He's a, also a big performer. He does like unusual looks in the ballroom scene. Oh, uh, Kevin Aviance? Not him. It's, it's someone that he performs just like that, but he's the president of New York City Black Gay Pride. We can look that up. Okay. Um, when I tell you, he came through like no other. He said, this is important. Dwight Eubanks came through. Robert E. Knight just donated garments. He said, I don't know what's going to fit you, but I have, all, I have a whole full figure line. If you want anything, it was a whole bag of stuff. He said anything. And so I know, I, and, and he's been a designer for me ever since. Um, he just donated stuff. He said, this is important. People who thought it was important and who needed to be in the room, they were in the room. Some of Troy my friends were in the room. Yes, some of my friends <laughs> and associates from all around the country, like Mr. Um, like Troy. Troy was there. So many people that I just, I mean, and there was other major black celebrities who wanted to be there, but because we needed the cheapest day, and you know, I was running it. So, you know, I'm a frugal person, business person. So I was like, look, what's the cheapest day we can get? So it was on a Wednesday night. Now, you know, everybody couldn't be there. But people like Wanda Sykes, she wanted to be there. Um, uh, we talked to Monifa's people. We gave out all these VIP tickets because if you were in the room, like Kevin E. Taylor said when he described it, it was hard for me to look at the audience because everybody was crying. 
it was like, as soon as you started singing or as soon as you, it would hit this section. This section would be okay. Then it would hit this. Then I would look up at the balcony and it would hit like some of my friends who are rappers who came. You know, these are hard guys. They were just tearing up. They were like, Tona, just to see how your dream manifested from your childhood and to see this. And they were just crying like, everybody was going like this. And I'm like, Tony, you got to focus. You got to focus. And it was a beautiful, magnificent night. But at the same time, had I been white or if I had been cisgender or a, a number of other things, trust and believe something that was that important would have been well-funded, well-funded. What I love about your tale of triumph is the idea that in a moment of crisis, you channel those black trans woman magic powers that we have because we've had to live our whole life in defiance of other people's expectations and in defiance of their no's. We are the people that turns no's into yeses. So I love how you activated and knew, okay, there's another way to get this done. And like we always have to do, you hustled and you made your moment happen. And that's a teachable moment for our young listeners out there. Baby girl, if you waiting for somebody to hand it to you as a black trans woman, it's not coming. Yeah, they're never going to give it to us. They're, they're never, never going, going to, to give it to snatch us. Snatch it out of their hand. That's the way we get things. That's right. And, and I love that you demonstrated that great example. And you, you're now a possibility model for people because after telling this story, I know there are people that will look and say, you know what? Why am I waiting for Carnegie to call me? Why not call Carnegie? Well, and that also saves way into my uh, into me performing for the president. So, of course, there's a narrative and you know how marketing is and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to perform for this man of color, period, point blank. You were not going to keep me out of the room, which it was $1,200. <laughs> you weren't. No, 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 no. Because it, this was another very historical performance. Barack Obama, who you all know, at the time was having these different issues with approving gay marriage. He was going to all these different ministers and asking for advice. He was going back and forth, blah, 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 blah. He decided that he was going to speak at an LGBT leadership conference in New York at the Sheraton um, um, Hotel. And it was a huge event. It was like 3,000 people there or something. And um, Audra McDowell, no, Audra McDonald, she performed um, and we just, we had to brush past each other. So I couldn't get my picture with her. So, I mean, that diva looked like, I mean, she looked like new money, like Miss Thing. She was sickening and so sweet. And then there was Neil Patrick Harris. That's why I say I use him as an example when I talk about this, because he knows it's no shade. You know, he's, every time I perform, he's there and you know, we sit next to each other, is no shade. Um, it was so many magnificent people in that room. But again, being a Black trans woman, I contacted them and I said, I will provide an orchestra to give this man the reverence that I believe that he deserves. I don't know how, I didn't know how big the event was going to be. You know, I don't know the work is, you know, I really didn't because, and I just didn't want to be you have been intimidated if you did. Huh? Would you have been intimidated if you did? Oh, uh, no. Mm-mm. Okay. No, no, no. No, because I just, 
my soul told me that I needed to do this. Okay. So I remember for a whole month, they were trying to decide. They said, well, we already have performers and this, this, this. I said, look, we can just do the before, you know, we can do as people are coming in. Like, I mean, I was on it. Like (laughs) I was pitching it like nobody's business. I was like, I'm going to make this happen. So they finally, it took about three weeks. I remember just being, I remember just being so nervous because I knew it was my destiny to do this. So they approve it. They ask for a background check and all that kind of stuff. And so I go start telling all these musicians from the area say, look, I have this opportunity. It's been approved. You know, black trans person, I got approved. So I'm showing everybody, this is what it is. Now, I need an orchestra to accompany me because they want me to sing the national anthem. Ciao. On the way to get to the event, we get a phone call that says that they did a check and some of my musicians had been institutionalized and had some mental illness issues and they didn't feel that they would be safe to be on the stage. And so here we are on the way to New York. And so that those people could not perform. Um, also one of my good girlfriends, something was going on with her daughter. And so she wasn't able to come up, but that mentality and why I think it's so important for us to make sure that our, our kids get into the arts. One of the mantras that you learn is that the show must go on. You know, that's not an option for the show not to go on. And so I remember just being really, really down about it. Like, oh my goodness, everything is falling apart, but I have to do this no matter what, you know? So I'm just going to go up there and see what happens. So we get there and I'm supposed to have an ensemble behind me. Now it's just me. They had whittled down every little thing. And they also didn't even feel like they wanted another instrument on the stage by some of these people because that you know and now that you now that i'm seeing all the shootings and stuff now i get it but at the <laughs> time you're all up in your feelings because i'm like i don't worked on a special arrangement of this thing <laughs> you know, i'm all excited and now it's all falling apart i gotta do this acapella so and another thing that most people don't know about me is that i've always been and you can ask all my mentors i always wanted to have a world-renowned ensemble. I'm known as a soloist, but I never wanted to be only a soloist. I always wanted to have an ensemble. So to get all these people of color together and to go up here and to do this and for us to turn I mean, I was all in it, y'all. I was in it. I said, oh my goodness, this is going to be everything. Get up there. That didn't happen. So I have to go out there. I'm trying to figure out what to do. They tell me that they have some kind of track or something. And it was, it was, it was interesting because backstage there was these ladies that calmed me down and just said, do you know how fortunate you are to be here? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I do. I mean, I could feel it. And of course I got a chance to talk to him and meet him and take my picture with him and different things like that. So it was very much worth it. But I bring all that up to say that sometimes when you, When you go to do something, especially something that can be life altering, it may not go the way you want it to go. 
it wasn't meant to go in the way that I wanted it to. Maybe we would have got up there, someone's stream would have popped or it would have been out of tune or who knows. So I just had to get out there and just belt it by myself with a track. And this amazing microphone, the sound tech was amazing. And he was another one who calmed me down. It felt like I was in a cathedral. I didn't have to oversing. And so history was made in that regard. Well, let me, oh, sorry. What were you about no, to say? No, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say what 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 also I think is an is a, is an is an important golden nugget of information that you just shared was listening to your gut. So from the very beginning, you saw you understood that there was a that, that in your spirit you know, you 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 listened to that inner voice that told you I will sing for this man, I will perform for this man, and then you waited for your opportunity and you seized your moment. Again, snatching the moment, taking the no's that were initially presented to you and turning them into a yes. But then even then, there was, like you said, there was noise. There was noise. There's things that are happening. And for a lot of folk, and I know particularly for a lot of Black trans folk, we live in a world of noise world of chaos there are the naysayers there are the well-intending doubters the people that say well girl don't get your hopes up and you know and these they mean well them your friends you know they mean well but they also from their own insecurity from their own confirmations in life that made them feel like that like they were they can't get things done you know a lot of people especially particularly when you're the first there were a lot of no's before you and there are some people that are invested in you not getting a yes because they got to know. Because it's got to mean for me also, too, that my experience must be validated by through her failure. Yeah. So there are people that were not probably rooting for you, even just on off of the strength of this is a black trans woman about to do something that me and my whatever can't do right now. But Absolutely. You pushed past all of that. And then even at the last minute insults, injury, I've done the thing. I've gotten the approval. I've gotten the people on board. And then they can't perform. What now? And again, it's darkest before dawn because Miss Mama said, okay, and I still have the voice. And you were like, we're going to go forward. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh, and it gets even better. Something else that people don't know is when you do those high profile events, especially political events, there's also an extreme level of danger. And so what people didn't know, of course, since he was doing something for L the first time any president had ever done it, for an LGBT leadership conference and an event, there were supposed to be protesters. We were told that we had to be on high alert. All of this stuff that we see manifesting these days in our politics, that stuff was rumbling around, obviously, because he was a man of color at that what was happening. And so we were, I knew that there was a potential that I could get out there and sing or play the violin or do something and a mass shooting could happen. Of course, there's high security and they, they try to assure you, but you already know when you go into these spaces. And so when we see our brothers and sisters get up here and do these things for presidents, um, for political dig and dignitaries. And um, sometimes they ask us to come and perform um, um, in DC at some of those um, embassies and stuff like that. 
you have to take that into account. And we were, they were very honest with us to let us know, okay, you're going to have to bring your instruments in a couple days early. We have to screen them. We have heard that there are certain things going on. We promise to keep you as safe as possible. So that's something that I don't really share, haven't really shared with people, but there was supposed to have been a protest. For whatever reason, the protest did not happen. That's interesting too. So, um, and that is something to note too, like there's a way in which sometimes you don't really realize the intersections that you have as a trans person until you're confronted with them in that moment. And I can imagine, you know, in your zeal and in your verve to like do this event, you're, you're not even thinking background check necessarily. You're not thinking friends background checks necessarily. You're thinking, you know, I'm going to do this event. But again, but like you say, because of these, these events that require a certain level of clearance and protocol to be in place, security protocols to be in place to protect everyone, you weren't able to have your friends along. Now, I do want to ask you, um, how did the other musicians or artists in that case take being not being able to be a part of that moment? That's an excellent question. I was pleasantly surprised. They did not, at least outwardly, um, blame me for, and I'm getting emotional just thinking about it because I think I would have been devastated because when I go into something, I go into it thinking of the whole picture, but I have a very narrow pointed focus. Anything that's on the outside of that, it's, it's just mumbles, you know, and I think if somebody would have turned around and just had a little bite as if I knew this was gonna happen or anything like that, I think I would have just broke down crying just because that I don't have that kind of spirit. I'm not that type of person. I don't go into anything to hoodwink someone or um, anything like that. That's just not who I am. If anything, I would give you the clothes off my back if we all need to go into the club, you know what I'm saying? Or whatever it is, whatever the situation is. If I don't, if it, my, one of the reasons why musicians love, because one of the other things I do is contract musicians for events. They love working for me because they know that if they're not, if, if the client didn't pay, I'm going to make sure that you got paid regardless. Okay, you're going to get paid and I'm going to go after them and my lawyers will go after them and we'll handle that. But I'm going to make sure that what's right is always right. But yeah, it was it was um, it was a very frustrating thing, but I knew that I just had to walk into it. And I know that it was divine intervention because for whatever reason, it was meant for me to be there on that stage at that time by myself. Because I didn't, that's not what I was trying to do. Well, your anointing made room for you. And that's it. That's it was a very powerful story. One the last thing you said that just really stuck out, because you're dropping gems tonight, girl. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. One, one important, last important point that you said was you had this narrow pointed focus and you use those exact words and as you were talking you actually began to bring your hands inward and I love that symbolism and I love how you are also encouraging people particularly creatives particularly individuals where you might be in an industry where a lot of your a lot of it a lot of what you're doing is dependent upon other people receiving it right 
And there's a lot that can be emotionally invested in how other people receive you, what is going on in the moment, being perceived a certain way, having prepared and I'm sure rehearsed with these people. And now you can arrange it the way you want. Like all of these things that were important to you as an artist to put forward in your art now, you weren't able to do. But I love how you identify that the narrow pointed focus of the matter, the most important thing for you was to be present in your moment and to be focused on the task at hand. Right. And, and even at, up to that second, you understood that as options began to fall away, you had to continue to narrow that focus. And so I just love, thank you for sharing that. I feel like that's, that's something that a lot of people don't realize. You can get distracted. And you can miss your moment being so close to it because you could have been the diva to go, well, if I'm not going, if my friends can't sing, I can't sing. And you would have missed the opportunity to be present in a greater way for your legacy. Yeah. In the end of the day, whose ministry was it? What did God give you? He gave you the vision. It was yours. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that happened every step of my career. So it by that point in 2014, um, it, be, it, it, it was almost some um, routine at that point that sometimes when I want things to go a certain way, it's not going to go that way, whether it's good or bad. Um, and it never was bad. As long as I stay true to myself, mm-hmm. it always worked out. And, and that's another thing that I noticed that a lot of people who even people who claim that they're so spiritual and religious, they don't have real faith. Mm-hmm. They really don't. When you have faith, uh, um, and it's not just in a higher being or any of that, it's just having faith in the process, having faith that for whatever reason, you are meant to be there. You are worthy. You are someone who deserves happiness and love and respect. And you have a talent, whatever that talent is. And when that talent is coming out of you, the the only time I feel the most in tune with the universe is when I'm singing or playing. That's when I feel the most in tune. And then I don't have to have a huge audience. Um, When I first started performing internationally was first in high school. We went to England and France and doing these different things. And then I did some performances. Canada, but then I went back to Canada with a, a, a road group, a little group called the Training Road Show. And of course, that name is so, you know, out there at this point. Love it. But the, you just triggered yeah. me. I know. I know. <laughs> so we used to tell, well, we used to tell them, change the name. But anyway, so they were a group of young, you know, trans people. Um, right, mostly, <laughs> mostly <laughs> self-identify. <laughs> mostly men. It was mostly trans men, and they they, they okay. decided to put together. Y'all tried it. They decided to put together this group of people to go all around to the colleges and universities from here all the way through Canada. West Coast, East Coast, and we would tour for like a month or two at a time. The first time I went with them was for two months, and they would just get this big van or something, and you would just drive around. But it was through that experience of performing in bookstores, performing in um, out amphitheaters, all kinds of stuff that really didn't fit a classical aesthetic. 
but just having to work with it. Sometimes the ceilings were too low and people would say I was too loud when I sang. Having to learn how to adjust and do all these type of things, it really opened my mind to, you know, a performance is a performance is a performance. If I'm sharing something, it doesn't matter whether it's in front of 2,000 people, 10,000 people, or two people. My job is to present that art to them and to share the art form that I really love in an authentic way. And so it doesn't matter to me um, size of, of the venue, of the space. I hear some of these artists that have egotistical ways of thinking. It None of that matters to me. You know, um, I, as an, okay, so let me tell you, there's a part of me that looks at you and there's a little child inside of me that is rejoicing and a bit sad at the same time, because I am a child that was um, very gifted vocally, but also I was a musician. I was an oboist and I was very passionate about it. I also played the flute. My parent, my, I started at a very young age playing instruments and being musical. And however, there was a point where I was not supported by my father in some of my creative efforts because he felt like it encouraged that other thing. And there's a part of me that uh, that also felt like like I, I can also relate to having a voice that music teachers identified and would actually put me in the choir with the women. And then my father's having to process coming to a recital where I have a solo and I'm singing a female part or my father having to process what it looks like to have the, the, the and I was that child that was that it only took so many times to see my father's disappointment in the audience for me to feel like this was something that would only worsen our relationship. And I feel like you are an example of someone. And that's why I said there's a part of that child that rejoices and is sad because I did not have a possibility model. There was not a possibility model in classical music for me. Mm -hmm. It did not exist. There was not a possibility model for me um, I, and, and then there was not a lot of support for me as an LGBT musician. I did not have your wonderful story that you just told about how I would have to claim it for myself. You know, I couldn't understand why I would get, I would be selected to be a part of the state band and the region band and all of this, but, but I'm not first chair at my own school because you're not going to give it to me. That's right. That's right. You're not going to give it to me. Mind you, none of these other people could even audition or even get into the stuff that I had, but you're not going to give it to me. And that was discouraging. And it got to the place where when I graduated high school, I had an option. I could have gone. So I was also a track athlete. I could have been a runner and an athlete, or I could have been, I could have pursued the, the music opportunities that I had. And I had even gotten a partial scholarship. Mm. I did not choose it because I knew that I wanted to transition. And for me, it was impossible. Well, you know, what's interesting uh, is that my mother was a track athlete, very high up, and she ended up stopping because of her um, her physique. She um, Her boobs got so big, and mm -hmm. they were telling her she was snapping bras, and she was having all kinds <laughs> of 
problems. <laughs> and so <laughs> work mom. Yeah. Work right. Mom. And so she ended up stopping doing it. But she wanted all of us to be athletes. And we ended up all of my because I have like three brothers and a half sister. And all of us ended up going away from athleticism and going into music. But she also mentioned the same thing. So now you you guys have to understand my story. When I tell you about the support that I had, that was with her. Mm. That was with my great aunties. And that was it. So, but none of these people came to one concert. <laughs> you know, I've I, I never... Um, uh, I always tell, let people know, you know, I am just one of those people that for whatever reason, if I want to do something, you're not going to tell me I cannot do it until I've rationalized that I cannot do it. So when, even though my, my, my teachers used to say, where, where are your family? Like they never came to a concert. They never, they were tragic, but if you really think about it, as far as like supporting me in it, because what they knew was hip hop, gospel, this, this, that. Here I was going way to the right. And then the other stuff they knew was dance and athletic stuff and all that. And I was going way over here. So sister, I know what you're talking about. And, I, and there's so many people who I now give voice lessons to who are older than we are, but who are older trans people. And sometimes they get so emotional in the middle of our lessons because just because it didn't happen at that time doesn't mean that you can't do it now. That's the one thing I tell people. I'm not, and, and I see the look on your face because everyone does that. They're like, yeah, right. You know, I'm, I'm X amount of age. Some of the greatest artists we know started later in life or they picked it back up later in life. But even if you don't take it to the next level, what I would say to you is to take lessons again. Just do it as a hobby because once a musician, always a musician. I tell everyone that. And you can't, can't nobody take that from you. The way our spirits vibrate when we are in line with the divine doing our art. And I've said the same thing to Brianna, who has a lovely voice. You can still get out here, perform. You can do it even in your house. You can take lessons. Rihanna and I are going to be the group. We're going to be right a group. I feel a group <laughs> in my spirit for us, Bree. We got to try it one time. Because I, I sing down, Tona. And like, what's really interesting is, is that I, I, because of the insecurity, and that's why I love you as a possibility model, even talking about that experience of being a child with a voice that doesn't, it's, it's what people would consider incongruent with how they look. I have, still have a, a, a really big um phobia to this day singing alone in public space and because particularly what just feeling that cringe and it, like even to the point where you know because at a certain point you know how it is when you're trans and you're ambiguous and you have that androgynous experience I can relate to all of that the puberty what is going on why am I getting breast buds please explain Jesus please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I can relate to all of that so mm -hmm. but what I found very interesting um about what you said that I can that that I, that connects to me is, I still to this day am nervous about singing and people hearing my voice because as a soloist, I can also remember being in church and watching the face the church mother's face turn up. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I can remember watching that discuss and that really registers with you as a person. So to this day, I am, I am, I am, I love like standing out singing in a crowd by myself just because, and I know, and I, and mind you, and I don't mind if I'm singing and I have a solo as a part of an ensemble, but the idea of being as a trans woman on stage alone is just so frightening to me, which is why your story, it brings me so much triumph in my heart because you're someone that is not only not afraid to just be bold in the moment, but you are someone that will seize the moment and make it hers. And that's just so amazing to me. And what I will say is that you need a sister in the arts like myself. And, and as you all know, you know, we're, we're talking to another audience who's so new about who we are most of the right. time. But there are more than me. There are so many sisters in the arts that will give you that support. And I will say voice lessons is therapy for trans people. I keep saying that people think I'm crazy. One day I'm a, I'm a coin it and make a, make an organization. It is therapy The I see people transform mentally when they take their voice lessons with me and they don't have to be trans, but if they are trans, it's even greater. Because you become more grounded and tuned to who you are when you tune that fine instrument that is in your, in your soul, in your body. And it's imperative, I feel, for every trans woman, especially of color, because even if you don't sing soprano, even if you are um, a trans person who is a baritone, it doesn't matter. As long as you can stand up here, take that deep breath and sing and sing the snot out of whatever it is. And that's why I tell people, you know, when people were always like, well, how do you get up in front of people and do? Because I'm not scared to do it. And no one has told me that I can't do it. And if they did, I would laugh at them because I've already done. Do you see what I'm saying? So I don't have those insecurities. Now I might have insecurities about, oh my God, is this too tight? My stomach showing, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And I'm like trying to work through that. Like, look, y'all, give me a little extra material. Right, you that know. regular woman stuff. Give me my right. grace now. Where's yeah. my grace? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, and then even that, once I'm in the role, or, uh, or I'm focused on the music, the text. And that's why I only perform things that I really love. Because again, as a trans person, you have so many things and thoughts and negative thoughts that can come in your mind. But when I'm in the role, I'm that person. I'm not myself. So what I do teach a lot of trans people, I teach a lot of my young students, um, is to start thinking about what you're performing, thinking about not just the words, but how do you want to present it to your audience? And that alleviates a lot of that anxiety, um, learning how to breathe deeply. Uh, even if your leg is shaking, no one knows your leg is shaking. Well, my leg was shaking, you know, my little kids, my leg was shaking. I'm like, but all we heard was that beautiful violin. And I, I also, when people come to see my students, um, again, people usually are crying in the audience because they see the connection. I'm very protective of them because of the things that you and I, Brianna and I, that we've all gone through in this process. And so they might not go through it in the same way, 
But if I see them terrified, I'll get up there and play a duet with them or sing with them, you know, try to get them through that experience. So it's not a traumatizing experience to perform. You know, that's very interesting. What were you about to say? Um, Well, go ahead. And then I was going to transition us to our last segment that I wanted to um, focus on. No, 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 no. I just wanted to say thank you for sharing the stories about your music in particular, because I feel like that what you just said resonated with me, the therapy aspect of it. I will, I do agree. And it has always been my intent to, um, cont- I, it's not that I've ever stopped singing or stopped being musical, but it, it's one of those things I do want to be more studied in that. And I think that that is important and it would be therapy for me. And it doesn't have to be a dream, def- the dream denied. It might just have been a dream temporarily deferred. And so thank you so much for sharing that and for offering that. And afterwards at the end, I do want you to tell us where we can find you for all of this amazing gift and talent and anointing so we can figure out how we can learn. Absolutely. Absolutely, vocal therapy program. Absolutely, because <laughs> we need it. Our community, we need it. We have so much talent, so much beauty, and a lot of us sell ourselves short in many, many ways. And we, we've been conditioned to do that. And society has told us that we need to do that. But when you stand in your truth, and and one of the reasons why I love the arts, you know, I had a young a, a young trans woman take violin. And, you know, she didn't realize how hard the violin really was going to be. You know, she just loved the sound and we got to doing it. And then I just asked her, speaking about the voice, I was like, have you ever thought about taking voice lessons because you hum so beautifully, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes in between? Oh, no, I can't do that. I'm trans. I'm like, I'm trans too. Now. The- you definitely can do it. Can you just do this for me? And so we, we started working and I mean, she has a lovely voice, a lovely voice. And she just, tears of joy came. And so even some of my trans friends, I started bringing them into like whatever church job or whatever I was doing. I'd be like, come over here, let's do a little something. Get up here and sing, let it out, let out some of that anxiety. Um, and, and they would feel so much better, whether they took it and decided to go into a career or to sing or to do it in public. That's not what's the most important. This is about you. This is about you. This is about you feeling better about yourself. So, so transition to the last part. And before I get to that, um, Tona has met, so I'm a very musical person for those of the listeners who don't know. I played violin in elementary school. I then transitioned to trumpet where I played there for a long time. And then I sung in the choir um, for those from our Baltimore listeners. I was on the city college choir and um Actually, Tona met my director because Tona had a concert with somebody that, and she does vocal trainings with somebody that I used to sing with um, on the choir. And then he invited our old choir director to the thing. So it was like a weird full circle moment. And then there were people that I used to sing with in the choir at the concert. So it was just like a weird full circle. It was weird, but um, yeah. I'm very musical. Tona and I bond over music. And I feel like music is really important to trans folks. And it wasn't until I met you, Tona, that 
that I was like, oh, like I can be trans and be musical too. Like I like it wasn't something that I had to give up because I was trans. Because I remember even in high school, it was a point towards the end of my high school years where I started to transition away from a choir and the music even though I loved it so much and it was something that came easy to me. Like I was on like the higher level choirs when I was in the ninth grade. And it was a skill, it was just a skill that came easy to me. But once I stepped into my queerness, I kind of felt like that was something that I could no longer do because I had no possibility model. So meeting you, and then I think around that time, that's when we got really close. And then running into those people from high school, it was just really a full circle moment. And um and but- you look beautiful. I remember that. And we I still share those pictures. In fact, right. I if people go on my Facebook, I just shared a picture of me, you, and that gentleman who's one of my students. Me, you, and him looking fantastic. We had a ball. Ain't no one say nothing crazy to us. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. My my old my yeah, and then my other music teacher from high school who was our accompanying accompany accompanying us, I don't know if I'm saying that wrong, for our choir stuff, he played the piano during yeah. y'all's recital. So it was it was just um really weird, but um great, great moment. But um I want to end it off with um your business, i.e. the studios, and I really want you to speak to um Again, just give the people a rehash of what you do at IE the studios, but I really want you to stick to why it was so important for you to have your own business um, in this industry and really give the people an idea how hard you um, work to make your business um, the success that it is. Absolutely. So um, my name is Tona Brown, for those who don't know, and I love the arts. And I found that it was the arts who helped me to become a better person, uh, to accept myself fully as a transgender person of color. Um, And so I want to share that with the world. And, And I know that sounds, you know, to some people, it sounds crazy, but I literally do teach students online all across the, all, all across the world which has been a dream of mine since I was like 12. I always wanted to have my own school. That was my thing. And I wanted to name it after my mentor, who was my possibility model. His name is Daryl Husky. We still talk to this day. Um, he took me in almost almost like a stepchild because I was just this geeky kid who just obsessed about music and I would hear a melody and I'd be on the bus tearing up because I just love music and I oh. you know? <laughs> you're a crier too I, I cry I can hear I can hear an instrumental that'll make me cry all the time music absolutely. hits me in my spirit I can relate That's absolutely I mean. so I would hear these different instrumentalists and I would hear these concertos and just and and then I started hearing some of my sisters from the church who start taking voice lessons and then they start singing opera and I would hear these huge sounds and it would just, it would just, the hairs on the back of my neck would stand up. So I decided to start Aida Studios, one, because my career was getting so public with my activism advocacy for transgender people and just performing all around the world, but I wanted to get away from the public 
and do something that I could control. Because when you're managed or when you're touring around and stuff like that, there's a lot of elements that you're not in control. And then I also started meeting a number of the girls who were becoming celebrities and I didn't really like what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. I was seeing a level of narcissism that did not resonate well with me. Um, Just this feeling that they just had to be around the noise and the, and the stuff that just didn't matter to me. So um, after Carnegie Hall, performing for the president, doing some of these things, I was on the board of the Out Music Foundation in New York City. And one day I started getting all of these, um, I started advertising and I was already teaching on the side, but performing primarily. And, it, but the teaching was my, my passion. Like I would be, you know, you, you guys just got to see me with my students. Like I get all in. You know, if, 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 if they get something that they've been working hard on, it can literally bring me to tears. What you just, so, oh, I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I, because what just hit me, you talked about the, you talked about discovering girls in community that have this feeling of narcissism. And I just wanted to take a, just take a moment to unpack that thought for a second. I, I feel like motivation, it's not what you do. It's why you do what you do. What is your end game? What is your goal? What is your motivation? And it sounds like your motivation is ministry. And it's very important to you that you're, it's connected and grounded in something that is artistic, that is really about the work and the art and the music and how it impacts people, but that everybody doesn't have that same motivation. Can you talk a little bit about what do you mean when you say narcissism? What were you, what do you mean when you say that? So one of the things and one of the reasons why I can have such a grounded conversation with you all or anyone else is that I am a totally independent artist and freelance artist, starving art. You can, whatever you want to call it. I'm not bought out in any kind of way. I'm not on these boards or anything that tells me that I cannot disclose, haven't signed all kinds of non-disclosures. I'm totally free and independent. But when you start getting out here, working around the industry, there is a very dark side of the industry and it's not for everyone, okay? And what I started to notice was the further I was getting more public with my career um, and the more access and the publicity I was getting, I was starting to attract and be around people that, as you said, it just didn't fit me spiritually. Um, They were the type of people who were just all about money or they were all about fame or they were all about something instead of doing the work, even if it was in an advocacy space where I was still performing, even if it was a red carpet event, but there's just, it, 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 it got to the point where it just, I realized it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me to keep going in that route. If, if you know, learn about me through the stuff that I do and the marketing and all that kind of stuff, that's fine. But you're going to also read about the work that I do and the type of students that I have and the type of advocacy I do. It's not just about Tona Brown. Tona Brown. You know what I'm saying? It you're has- not in it for the clout to use the young kids. Absolutely. It just, that's just not, because that, that kind of stuff is not, it's not lifelong sustainable as you see in our celebrities, right? So at one minute you see them 
you know, they just, if they do anything, they're on the front of every magazine and all this stuff, stuff, stuff. Once you get that little 15 seconds of fame and all that kind of stuff, once the industry is done with you, they're kind of done, okay? They've exploited everything they can out of you. And, and another thing was I have been offered, which Brianna knows, a number of roles from Broadway all the way through, which I never talk about, but from Broadway all the way through um, Netflix type shows. And um, also I've been asked to be on some, um, what do you call them shows? Um, a reality show. Reality shows. <laughs> and Brianna knows how I feel about them. <laughs> you know, and, and just, you know, going Well, I like- want to know, Cher, how do you feel about reality? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just was not using. She's, a, she's, a, she's a classy lady, honey. Right. Well, I was going to, yeah, I got some comments on that later because I was going to say, I think that your your deportment also, but go ahead. I'm, 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 I got to, yeah. Yeah, I just got to the point where, like, you know, some of them had, without seeing the the actual Broadway show, but one of them asked me to sign some kind of, like, waiver that I would have to show my derriere, you know, to be a part of the show. And I'm like, what does that have to do with singing this? I was like, no. Literally, you we need you to show your ass. Yes. <laughs> or, or it's it, it's set in, it's set on the planet Neptune, but we need you to be a, a prostitute. Yeah. Like on Neptune, <laughs> like why can't I be a scientist? Why need to be an intergalactic prostitute? Right. <laughs> you overly sexualize all of the roles that they're gonna offer you as a black trans person. They're overly sexualized. It's always some little. Da-da-da. Here we go. And you <laughs> got the airlock in the next scene. <laughs> right. I mean, there was one role in particular they wanted me to perform, you know, oral sex, like on the camp, but like in a shadow, like all kinds of things. <laughs> and I know some of the girls who say, well, what's the problem with that? You're acting. I also have a brand and I work with very young people. Like I work with very young students and I did not want them to see me doing some of these things. And it just didn't fit my aesthetic. It, you know, as I said, I do what I want to do. So if I wanted to do it and nothing against the girls who take some of those roles either, it's just not for Tona Brown. Mm-hmm. And so I just decided, you know what, this is not for me until the industry gets to a point where I can go and I was supposed to play like a counselor, a psychiatrist, you know, the, 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 uh, what the best friend of the vixen. It was like this one series that we were trying to get off the ground. That was really amazing. I ain't gonna lie. It was really, (laughs) but there's a big secret. Can you guess her secret? Right. (laughs) Exactly. She's a cancer survivor. (laughs) (laughs) And she has a penis. (laughs) So, you know, it was just too much. And so I just decided, and, and to bring it all the way forward to the business, I decided with going through all of that, it was time to do something that would give me a steady income and that I could manage and slowly grow. But I knew it had to be something I was passionate about. So I started Aida Studios. You guys can find me on Instagram. 
on Facebook. Just look up Aida Studios. Um, um, I'm also on Twitter at T Tona City, or I say Tenacity, because that's my way of my geeky way of turning the word into my name, Tona City, Tenacity. Um, but you will see my work. You'll see what I do. You'll see some of the roles I played. Um, I just recently was in an opera movie where I played the role of Lazia Principesa from Swar Angelica and by Puccini. And you'll see me in the, you know, the huge gown and all of that kind of stuff, the theater. But it was very interesting because of COVID, we couldn't do it in the normal way. So, you know, we had to like really act and act for the camera and do all those type of things. So you guys will see those, just look me up, Google me. You know, there's, you, I'm not hard to find. Yes. You know, um, what I, what I really, one, I'm excited to hear that. And um, let me know when Tonacity, the studio actually gets off the ground. You should actually trademark that before that gets out on this call now. I love it. I wrote it down, Tonacity, <laughs> like the way it looks. And then, you know, you also a music person, so it works like you need to. Right, right. That's, that's your ministry, girl. Don't, don't let nobody steal that. Okay. But, <laughs> but I was going to say, um, what I really, really love is, is how you talked about the idea that being in the industry, you were given access to these opportunities, but you understood that representation is the difference between representation and exploitation. And you understood that as a black trans woman, it was important for you to have roles, not necessarily that you were being bougie, like I have to be the lead darling, but it was very much like, but the role has to make sense. And nothing in this role am I going to allow to exploit me, my identity, or people that look like me. But the reality of it is, is this industry has a, a lens that they like to cast over us, a, a certain, um, uh, a certain um, identity that they want us to have. And even in moments when it is not related, they still want that comedic relief that we provide. They still want that ability to poke fun at our experience or to marginalize it or to tokenize our experience, which is what I find is also the more sinister underlying thing that sometimes happens is you're hiring me, particularly in the arts. And then I know that already when I take the gig, you're not going to just let me be one of the actors in the cast. I'm your trans actor, let the actress, let's bring Samaya out. Let's bring, you know, like, let's bring out the tranny. We have a trans woman in our cast and she's right there. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you laugh, but you're absolutely right. That's the way they make you feel. Um, it's very exploitative. Um, it is very degrading. Mm -hmm. um, and again, to the girls who, who got out there and they took some of these opportunities and, and if they're happy, I'm happy for them. It just wasn't for me. And right. that's the thing, because I support all my girls. You know, sure. if you're doing something positive and, 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 you know, but the other thing about me that that my closest friends always mention is that, Tony, you're different because you you don't mind the slow ride. And, and and now that I think oh, about it, rise. that's another, yeah. another nugget. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't need to be where some people are if it didn't fit my aesthetic. Okay. And I what I've enjoyed has been building a brand, which is why I went into business. 
building a brand, watching it slowly grow, looking at all the testimonials and stuff. If you go on my thumbtack on Aida Studios and you see we got like almost 100 reviews, you know, seeing people talk about how the arts are transforming their lives. That's what meant more to me than getting a million likes on Instagram or followers and stuff. But you got to figure that out for yourself because the industry is is the industry. It's going to just bring out whatever, whatever is really inside of you. If you're narcissistic and it's all about you or you're attention seeking or any of those type of things, or if you don't know who you really are, the industry said, oh, darling, come over here. We got a little drugs over here. We got a little this over here. You can enjoy an orgy over here. They got some of everything. (laughs) Not enjoy an orgy over here, girl. Y'all think think it's a joke. I'm dead serious. They have all of it for you and them after parties and all that stuff. Yeah, anyone who knows, ask Brianna. When I'm hired to do an event, I go there. And if you ask me to come to an after party after the event, my contracts say I will only be there for up. And I, that's only if I have to make an appearance. Because you know what? That's where a lot of the shenanigans go down. Tona Brown is up in her room, hair wrapped. You know, <laughs> ready for your next day. <laughs> yes, you know, washed face, hair wrapped up, and I'm in pajamas talking to my friends on the phone because there's a lot of foolishness out here, and that's another reason why I became a teacher because I've had some really horrible situations happen um, while being either backstage or being in a certain studio. Uh, that were not, um, that I couldn't believe was happening with the professionals, quote unquote, that they claimed that they were. There was a one situation where I was back, I was backstage and it was a theater project and I was playing in the orchestra and this, this very famous, um, actor actually pulled out his genitals in a hallway at you at me and I remember being like what in the world and I actually went like this in his face like wake up what are you doing you're in a hallway and he's like you know so stuff like that happens y'all and when you're a consummate professional and you try to do everything you can to keep those sort of things from happening. Cause you already know when you walk into the room, what people assume you're about. And then to have people like that do those type of things to you, it can be very jarring. It can be very um, disheartening. It can make you think that, you know, that um, anything, anything negative, you know, it really can. And you have to be strong. And that's one of the reasons why I became a teacher, because I warn my clients, their parents, you know, I make sure that if they're going to auditions for these different things, the voice and all this, that they have to be accompanied by adults at all time. And that if my students are singing in the studio because of the stuff that I went through. I used to sing backup for for artists. I'm from Hampton Roads. That's where Missy Elliott and all them people are from. 
right? So you got a lot of people out there when I was young and, you know, trying to find my way in the industry. Many of my friends are famous, right? So they would ask me to come in and do different things and stuff would happen. Stuff would happen. Um, Some of my, I had a young woman who um, her case got very, very public against someone that's very public in the radio industry today. And she was raped by this particular person. And she's a beautiful young lady, okay? Um, So these type of things happen. And it's, a, it's one of the dark sides of the industry that nobody really wants to talk about. Now you're starting to hear it more and more. People are being honest about it. You know, we've had um, the Me Too movement and all these type of things that are helping, but it's not going to stop everything. So again, I pulled away and I said, look, I'm not trying to do none of that to get to where I'm going. I have a talent and that is what I will pimp out. And that's the only thing. Your, your talent I, is your ticket. And your anointing will make room for you. And if it takes longer for me to get there, then that's okay too. Yes. That's okay. Because well, that, that it, you know, and, and that's another thing, you know, that those quick shortcuts, it's going to come at a price. But we, But the thing is, when you're building it for yourself, you can afford to for it to take longer to get there because you're subsidizing yourself. You're not waiting on this one-off um, hitter thing. It's like, well, okay, in the meantime, I can sustain myself and build my talent because when the time comes, it's going to come and I'm going to be able to handle it. That's right. That's but right. In the mean, but in the but meantime, that's why we I need can... to tell more girls. That, see, right. but that's, that's the ticket. That's what we need to tell more, especially trans women of color, right? Because sometimes we have to do what we have to do. There's survival sex work. There's so many different things out here. We have to do what we have to do, right? But if you are someone who wants to either get out of that, or if you're someone who wants to go into some of these industries where that is very prevalent, there is a way to do it, baby. And what you have to do is to build some sort of business. You have to get out here and network, get a group of people around you. Cause I've been, I, I mean, y'all, I've been in some crazy situations. If it wasn't for having gentlemen who protected me or my sister saying, don't go in there, you know, or just paying attention to your intuition and saying, something doesn't feel right. You know, some, you know, this party or I'm at this event and they're saying, hey, you know, Shardy, come over here. You know, no, I'm okay. But something, my, my intuition saying something, and then I find out one of my friends is raped or something like that happened. Okay. These things happen. And so what, what we have to do is try to get more sisters to feel that it's possible, like it's a possibility, that it's possible for you to start something on your own, to develop a business. We all, we have so many skills, you know, the, from academics. I mean, I, I'm just thinking about my whole, my own circle of trans women of color, from academics to creatives, to cooks, to everything else. And every last one of those things you can get a coin from. For sure. Every last 
one of them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but you got to believe that you can do it. And you have to believe in your self-worth. And you have to know that it's possible. Yes. You know, one of the powerful points that you just made was don't be scared of the slow rise. And and and, and some of the shortcuts you're going to take may actually divert you off of your path. And I feel like that is important to recognize because this we are we are a community that sometimes in our desire for affirmation, it makes us more vulnerable to other people's attention. It makes us vulnerable to other people's desires to do things with us. Because for us, a lot of it, particularly for those of us that are black and trans in America, we are not used to that kind of attention and love. And when your anointing has made room for you, sometimes you will forget that that's what got you in the door. And then you begin to start bartering and trading using a currency that wasn't what got you in the room. Mm -hmm. And I love that you brought that out for the, the younger ladies that are listening, because I feel like I, I can imagine in an industry that is sex obsessed, that there is a young girl out there somewhere coming in thinking, okay, they're living for me. Not I, Because for a lot of us, just the idea that someone is living for me is what I really was here to do anyway. You know, so then when when you're in it for the validation and you're getting that from the door, but it's not the kind of validation in the way you want, you don't care about tokenism and um and your and and your exploitation and all of that stuff. You don't care. You're like, I'm gonna do what it takes to get there, not realizing that what people actually discovered was your anointing. And I love that you brought that into the space. Um, I also really respect your opinion on, and I know Brianna talked about this as well. The idea that you subsidized yourself. I love that you are encouraging the girls to move towards ownership because for us, it is only as owner that you will have the ability to have some modicum of control over how people engage with you. And just even on a contractual professional business level, having a business contract. You talked about having certain particular important things, having a business contract, having a business that they can contract with. Being able to have your stuff in order so that you can collect damages, so that you are protecting yourself and putting a barrier between you, artist, and agency booking you. That is also very important, and a lot of people don't realize that. You don't want to always be booked as an employee. You want to be in partnership because it is in partnership that you get a certain level of legal protections that you don't get. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and I love how you're also encouraging the girls to trust their inner voice. Yes. I, I, I respected your stories about the, and thank you so much too, for sharing those very, very brave. Um, it's very brave that you're sharing those very, very harrowing instances of you dealing with the unfortunate underbelly of this community or, or the music world and, or the entertainment business, I should say. Um, I, I think that's important. I feel like we would be naive. We would be selling a false bill of goods here. We would be, we would be lying if we didn't acknowledge the trauma that you must have endured. Being, being an, a, some, something that everyone sees as a sex object in the industry. So your story about being in the hallway and having this man literally snap the fuck out. And all of us black trans women, all of us women can relate to having a man that is so sexually obsessed and he snaps the fuck out. Wife be next to him, you be in the grocery store, 
he round, you know, like, and they snap out and like how he exposed himself to you, just purely seeing you as a sex object in that moment and not even caring about what the ramifications of this could be, how this would even be perceived. Mm-hmm. Like, but what I respect is that you're being honest about that. I feel like there is a desire, particularly as folks that don't give and get an opportunity all the time. There's the desire to self-censor because you're scared of how that will affect how people see you. Will I be seen as difficult? Will they be nervous because I told this story on this podcast about Look At Me Now because now, oh, she's one of them Me Too girls. But I love that you're sharing your truth because that is the part that I feel like is where we are the most vulnerable because of what I was saying earlier. We are looking for validation. And if you are used to, unfortunately, trading in the currency of your body, it is easy for someone to fall back into that when your intent was to use your art. That's right. That's right. And they will exploit it. It's, it's The thing about it is that that's part of the industry. That's just part of the industry. And if you're not honest about it, I mean, I'm so happy to see that so many women are sharing these stories now. And they're sharing these stories because it was becoming so normalized and accepted that if you were a woman who came into certain people's offices or to do certain type of work that you were supposed to put out or do something sexual to get to the next level or to be a part of a project or whatever it is. And I'm just here to let people know that you don't have to do those things. You really don't. They will make you feel that you do. And the other thing that I've noticed for people who have gone that route um, is that you're just passed around. You're just passed around. And you're not getting nearly as much as, they, as these people are going to promise you. They, you know, most of the people that are doing those type of things, too, really don't have much of a career. <laughs> You know, like I said, where I'm from, there were so many producers. I did so many things, you know, so many backup things that just never went anywhere. Took a lot of time. You know, we, we in front of the microphone and it looks legit, but it never came out anywhere. So if I would have subjected myself to those type of things, nothing ever came of it. And so that happens a lot. You don't have to do those things. You can stand on your own. I remember when that did happen to me multiple times. When that did happen, I remember one time I just took my card and just threw it in the guy's face and said, look, when you're ready to talk about some real music business, you call me. Okay? See, I went to school for this. And unlike some of these other people that's up in here, I'm not impressed. I'm here to do a job. You want me to sing? You want me to play? You want me to get you an ensemble? Have your money together. That's what it is. What we're not going to do is play this game that you're legit. Because for you to do something like that, you can't be legit. Okay? And I just walked out, you know. Um, But not everyone has that strength. And not not everyone is going to make that their route. So, But what I'm here to say is that I, that's what I chose to do. And I am fine now. You know, when when you're young or when you're new in the industry, you feel that that's just the way it is and that everyone has to do that. You do not have to do it. Even if it takes you longer to get to where you want to go, 
you will get there. And but you will have the pride of knowing that you got there off of your own merit, your own talent, and in your own business and ability. You will have that inner pride of knowing. It was funny because I have a, a friend who's trying to help me to co-write my, my autobiography. And he asked me about, was like, what was one of the biggest accomplishments I felt in my career? And his, and my answer really shocked him. And I said, it, one of the biggest accomplishments I've had was knowing that even though I was faced with many of the things that I've been telling you ladies here on here, that I took the time to cherish myself, to know my own self-worth. And I never allowed any of those things to take me off of my goals and focus, mm. you know? That to me, especially as a black trans woman in America, that was one of the most important accomplishments. I did not have to subject myself to some of those things to get to where I am today. And it's not because it didn't come to me, which is why I'm sharing this with all of you. It's not because it, you know, I'm just immune to it and, and, and men don't treat me as a sex object. That's not it. It's because I chose to say, you know what? I might be broke right now. You know, I might have to wait and sacrifice a little longer. You know, I might have to go and pick up another student or I might have to call someone and borrow some money. But what I will not allow this producer to do is to tell me that in order for me to record this, I need to do X, Y, Z. I'm not going to do it. So I think we've come to the end of this episode. Tona, I want to thank you so much for coming on, for um, being a possibility model, for being a, a trailblazer, an innovator, and um, just being real, for being um, real. I appreciate you so much. Um, I'm going to put the link to Tona's um, business, Aida Studios, in the show notes. So for those of you listening who are musical, if you want to sing, you can um, go to the website, hopefully book my sis for some lessons and pay her because my sis is a Capricorn <laughs> and she don't play about her coins. Run um, if, she ve- if she has a very upscale, she'll work with you, but she has a very up, she didn't say, but she works with a lot of cis people in the DMV region. So she has a very upscale clientele. So she does not play about her coins. So if you want to use her services, make sure you pay her and pay her in advance because she will call you if you're missing payments. So you think you're going to slide by and get your lesson knowing that you haven't paid her. She don't play about that. But um, sis, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate this. You and know, then- both. Thank you both for having me. Like I said, it, I, I can't imagine not doing this. I love what you all are doing. I, I'm, I'm one of your fans. I'm always looking to see, you know, when I have a few minutes, can I catch a little bit of the show? So I'm so glad that you all are doing well. And I just wish you all the best. Thank you.
And before I take us out, lady, I just wanted to tell you that, you know, we run in the same circles. We have many of the same friends and I have always admired you from afar, your grace, your deportment, your beauty, your class, your elegance. And now to know that you are, are in a, and has to have an amazing spirit to actually have experienced you. It is just so exciting. And I look forward to continued conversation and oh, please. relationship for sure. Absolutely. 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 Anytime. Yes, yes, yes. This has been another wonderful, wonderful, exciting episode of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. We thank you, thank you, thank you so much to all of our listeners, our subscribers, our followers on our social media pages, including Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. But also a special shout out to our patrons. We thank you so much for all of your love, all of your support and all of your patronage. And this and hopefully many of other of our content will be on there for you. And we hope you enjoy. This has been another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. I am one of your co-hosts, The Lioness. And I am Aeon. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. And don't forget to become a patron on the Box Number 512 Patreon page, where we have all new exclusive content. And also, don't forget to follow us on our social media, on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages, and also become a subscriber on our YouTube page. Until next time, bye. bye.